so much. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, continuing our study in uh, the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's such a rich book, isn't it? So much there for us. I really enjoyed studying uh, this book again and, and preparing these sermons. And I trust they're helpful to you as they are to me. We're in verses 11 through 13 this morning of Ephesians chapter 4. And as I read, remember, this is the Word of God. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And again, that is the Word of God. Pray. Lord God, we thank you so much again for your Word and for its truth. We know that we can trust it, every word of it. We thank you that it's given for our instruction, for our help, for our guidance. It points us to yourself. It points us to Christ. It teaches us how to live. It shows us what salvation is and how we get that it teaches us how to walk in a way that pleases you. I pray that our text this morning might do all of that. You show us the glory of yourself and of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, and of your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the unity of the church. Last week, we looked at the diversity of the church. This morning, we're going to look at the gifts of the church. It's interesting to me, when Paul kind of moves from the theological part of Ephesians in chapters 1 through 3 into the practical aspect or part of the book in chapters 4 through 6, that he begins talking about the importance of the church. Shows how important the church is to God and how important the church ought to be to us as well. A natural desire of a believer is to affiliate with the church, to identify with the body of Christ, and to associate with other believers. Believers need other believers. Maybe you've heard the illustration of the of the fireplace. You know, as long as the all the logs in, in the fire place are intact and together the, the fire burns brightly and all the logs are burning together in that one flame but if one of those logs happens to, to fall off of the rest and goes off by itself rolls off to the side you know what happens gradually the flame in that log begins to diminish and grow dim and eventually that log will go out. Same way in the life of a believer. You see, the church provides for us a place that will fan the flames of our spirituality, where we can find mutual encouragement in our walk with Christ, where we can be motivated to greater love for God and obedience to His Word. When we separate ourselves from the body of Christ, quite often 
our faith and our love and our hope grow dim because we don't have that encouragement from other believers. You see, that's what the church provides for us. I believe you can only truly experience that when the church demonstrates what we've seen in our text, genuine unity in the midst of real diversity. That's why the the unity of the church is to be so important to us. You might remember back in verse 3 where Paul said, we're to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to make that a priority. We're to work hard at it. Now last week when we examined the diversity of the church, we saw in in our passage that was in verses 7 through 10, we saw two references to gifts. And we saw there that God, through the Holy Spirit and the ministry of Christ, gives gifts to His people according to His grace, according to the measure of His grace. That is, God determines what gifts we have and how many gifts we have. That's all determined by Him. By their gifts. He gives them to us to use for His glory and for the good of His church. And we saw that part of Christ's ascension back into heaven after His death and resurrection was that from His place on high, He then gives gifts to men. And He gives gifts to all believers And every believer has at least one gift. Then you have multiple gifts that we're to use for his glory. Our text this morning kind of builds on that giving of gifts of Christ to the church. Several things I want to draw from these verses. First, I think in this passage we see the the identification of the gifts, or at least some of the gifts that God gives to his church. And I think it's clear in our passage, not just in our text this morning, but uh, in the surrounding context that, uh, again, the gifts are given for the good of the body. We don't use our gifts in isolation. But all of our gifts, every spiritual gift, in some way is designed to impact, to influence, to help, to assist the body of believers. Now, there are four gifts listed here in verse 11. And they are where he says he gave some as apostles, prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. I want us to look at what the Bible says about each one of those, but I want to take them in pairs. The first pair in verse 11 is the apostles and the prophets. Apostles and prophets had three basic responsibilities. They laid the foundation for the church. They received and they proclaimed. Some wrote the word of God. And they confirmed the reality of gospel truth many times through signs and wonders, through miracles. And an apostle was one who was sent out or one who was sent out on a mission, a specific particular mission. Now sometimes we kind of confuse two words in the Bible. One is that of a disciple, and the other is that of an apostle. Jesus had many disciples, but he called only 12 apostles. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. 
A disciple is someone who's committed his life to Jesus to follow him and to serve him. But an apostle was a divinely appointed representative. Someone whom God, Christ chose and then whom he sent out to, to perform a particular function or mission. Now one of the requirements in the New Testament of being apostle, an apostle was being an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul was the last one who met that qualification. He met the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. We don't have apostles today in the church like we did in the days of the New Testament. You see, the apostles are used to establish the church, to oversee its inception, to enhance its growth. But then the apostles, if you read the book of Acts, the apostles gave way to the elders. And Paul ran around establishing churches. He didn't go around appointing apostles. He ran around appointing elders. Now it's the elders who are given the responsibility to oversee, to instruct, to guide, and to lead the church and to enhance its growth. Well, prophets were also men who had been specially gifted by God to bless his church at its inception. You know, we normally think of prophets when the word prophet comes to our mind. We, we normally think of someone who's a foreseer, don't we? We kind of foresees the future. And God kind of allows to see what's going to happen yet to come and able to make a prophecy about that. Now, some of the prophets did have that ability, or God did enable them to, to know those things. He did reveal the secret things to them. But for the most part, prophets were not foretellers. They were forthtellers. They were preachers. They proclaimed the word of God to the people of God. They didn't just say what might happen, what God might do in the future, but they were tell God's people what they were to do today. Now sometimes the prophets were given new revelation, while other times they simply expounded on what already had been revealed. But what you need to understand is the apostles and prophets were both given to the church for a specific period of time to accomplish a specific purpose and then those gifts ceased at the completion of the New Testament. They were foundational gifts that God used to establish and to begin His church. We saw that actually back in chapter 2. If you look back to chapter 2 of Ephesians with me, verses 19 and 20, where we saw this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, that's the church, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. They laid the foundation. And then once that foundation was laid, the work of the apostles and the prophets was completed. Well, that brings us to the second pair in our text. And that is the, the pair of the evangelists and the pastor teachers. I want you to see is that the second pair 
replaces the first faith. The foundational gifts of apostles and prophets have been replaced by the sustaining gifts of evangelists and pastor teachers. Those are the ones who have now been put in place by God to advance his kingdom and to build his church. Evangelists are men and women who proclaim the good news of the gospel. The gospel, or the good news in the Greek, is euangelion. And one who proclaimed the good news was a euangelist, an evangelist. Who was given the good news of the gospel and gifted to proclaim that truth. Evangelists, for the most part, went into un, uh, areas where the gospel had not yet gone. Into places where the gospel had not yet been heard. Now, they would travel from place to place many times, preaching the good news to win the lost to Christ. Evangelists were given to the church to reach the lost, and they're still used by God in the church today. Now, my understanding is, and I'm sure not everyone would agree with what I'm about to say, but this is my understanding. My understanding is that evangelism is a, a specific gift that God gives to specific people. Not everyone has the gift of evangelism. Not any more than any, everyone has the gift of teaching. I'll take that a step further. Not every pastor has the gift of evangelism. It's interesting to me that Paul told Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy 4, 5, he told him to do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist, he said. Every pastor is to do evangelism or to share the gospel, even though he may not have the specific gift of evangelism himself. Now let me explain what I mean. I'll be very personal about it. I don't believe evangelism is one of my gifts. I have some gifts. I think I have two or three gifts. But that's not one of them. I had a friend in seminary who had the gift of evangelism. He's now the pastor of a church in, uh, in Arizona. But he was one of those guys who could get on an airplane and sit beside someone in ten minutes. He'd have that person engaged in a conversation about the gospel. Not me. I don't have that but, but I follow Paul's instructions to Timothy. Even though, even though I don't believe I personally have the gift of evangelism, I do the work of an evangelist. you understand the distinction there? I work at it. You know, I share the gospel with you. I invite you to come to Christ. I challenge you to put your faith and your trust in Him. That's evangelistic work. I meet with children and with young people one-on-one, and I share the gospel with them. I invite them to place their faith and their trust in Jesus. I do the work of an evangelist, even though, personally, I don't believe God has given to me that specific gift. And I say that because I think that's true of every believer, and Gary James mentioned it briefly in Sunday school this morning. Even though we may not have the gift of evangelism, we're all responsible to bear witness to Christ. 
to share in what ways we can the good news of the gospel. As Peter says, being ready always to give a defense of the hope that is in us to anyone who may ask. So there's a difference, I think, between being an evangelist and just bearing a witness to Christ, being a light that shines for the gospel. Evangelists. And then there are pastors and teachers. And I think the two should be taken together here. That's why we refer to them as pastor-teachers. These are men who are gifted to shepherd the people of God, to teach them the Word of God. You know, pastor-teachers care for, they protect, they lead the flock, as well as instruct them in God's way. I think that describes, in the New Testament context, the work of an elder. In, in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul said that the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those, he says, who work hard at preaching and teaching. Those are the three elements that we give primarily to the elders today. They rule, they shepherd, they watch over the flock, and they are to preach and to teach the Word of God to God's people. Pastor, teacher. Again, on a personal level, that's what I, how I say myself. That's what I am. I'm, I'm a pastor, teacher. When I interviewed with the pastor search committee almost 11 years ago now, come to North Pole. I told them, I said, look, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scholar. I'm just a pastor. That's all I am. God gives to the church evangelists to reach the lost for Christ. He gives pastor teacher the shepherd his church and the people for whom Christ died. And so the early church was given apostles and prophets. Well, the church today has evangelists and pastor teachers to enable the church to grow and prosper. And I'm sure each one of you can think back over your lives. You can think of the person God used in an evangelistic way to present the gospel to you in whatever context it was so that you might place your faith and your trust in Christ as the Holy Spirit draw you, drew you to Himself. And you can think of pastors and teachers who shepherded you along the way, who taught you the Word, who encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Those are the gifts God has given to His church to enable it to grow. Second, we see the, in our text the purpose of these gifts. And that purpose is clearly defined in verse 12, where it says, God gave these gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, and to the building up of the body of Christ. Everyone want to know what my purpose is. All i got to do is read Ephesians 4.12. I have a twofold purpose. To equip you to do the work of service, and to build you up as a body of believers. What does that mean? It means I'm 
to tell you and to teach you how to serve Christ by serving the body. And to help you find your gifts so that you can use those gifts to serve the body. Now I know in every church almost in America today that the centerpiece is the pastor. I understand all, I stand right in the middle of right in front of you. I'm, I'm the centerpiece of the church. I understand. But, but the pastor's not to do all the work. The pastor's to be involved in helping you find your place so that you can do the work of ministry in the church. And it encourages me to no end <laughs> to see men and women, sometimes young people, Stepping up, volunteering, using their gifts to assist in serving the body of Christ. Now, as you've probably discovered, my leadership style is leadership by example. It's a lot easier for me to show you what you ought to do than it is for me to tell you what you ought to do. But that's all part of helping you know how to serve God. How to use your gifts to serve Christ by serving His people. It's one of the ways that I try to accomplish this purpose that God has given to me to equip you to serve the church. The other purpose given here in verse 12 is to build you up as the body of Christ. You know what the opposite of to build up is, don't you? To tear down. Well, we preachers have two choices. We can focus on the positive, or we can focus on the negative. And let me assure you, there's plenty of both in every church. We can choose to be encouragers, or we can choose to be discouraged. We can harp on what's wrong, or we can encourage you to do what's right. And those who choose to focus on the negative usually have a hard road to hope. The goal of a pastor is not to tear his people down. But the goal of a pastor is to build his people up. Even in sermons, I learned this a long time ago, even in sermons that may be hard or harsh, that may be, have a, an edge to them, a critical nature to them, that points out deficiencies or sin or, or delinquency. Even in the context of sermons like that, you ought never to quit before you do some restoration, do some putting back together of attaining the unity of the body of Christ. So we have a dual purpose here. Your pastor have a dual purpose. I'm to equip, equip you to serve and I'm to build you up as a body of believers. And then in the third place, we see the goal of these gifts. As God give, gave these gifts to the church, as they are used to enhance the church, what is the, what's the end goal of it all? And we find that given in verse 13. We read this. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Three goals, just briefly out of that verse. One is that we would experience the unity of the faith. There's that word again, isn't it? Unity. 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 Don't miss it. Look, folks, the unity of the church is one of the most powerful testimonies that we have. It's such a stress on it in the Bible. It must be so important to God. And and the work of the pastor-teacher is to enhance the unity of the church. How many times have you heard sad tales of churches where there were squabbles between the church and its leadership or between the church and its membership? Sometimes those tensions become so great that Pastors are forced to leave their pulpits. Make matters worse sometimes in those situations. Pastors dig in their heels and they refuse to go. (laughs) So much for the unity of the church. But notice what the text says. It says until we all attain the unity of the faith. Now, as I've said before, the word faith is used in different ways. Here it's not talking about our faith. It's not talking about the expression of our faith. There's a definite article here. It's the faith. What is it? The faith in which we believe. This is it, folks. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Unity that is based around the truth of God's holy and inspired word. I'll say it. It's when we take our eyes off the book that we're inclined to fall out of unity. It's when the church starts talking more about political matters, social issues, cultural trends, personal opinions. That's when the church is susceptible to division. This church has gone through its share of difficulties over the years. I'm not going to hide from that. But I'll tell you, in every case, because we took our eyes off the book. And other things became more important. Our goal in faith. There's a second goal, and that is a greater knowledge of Christ. He says, until we attain the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul said to the church in Corinth, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. To the Galatians, Paul said, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of Christ or the cross of Christ. Every sermon and every lesson, whether it's a sermon taught from this pulpit, whether it's a Sunday school lesson taught from this floor, whether it's a Bible lesson taught in one of these classrooms scattered around our buildings, every lesson ought some way to point us to Christ. Jesus himself said, the scriptures testify of me. 
And whenever we open the Bible and preach or teach, somehow, some way, we have to find Jesus in it so that we can grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. And then one other goal is spiritual maturity. As the text says in verse 13, to a mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now Paul's going to build on that idea of maturity in the next section. We're not to remain babes in Christ. We're to grow up. We're to mature. We're to produce the fruit that God expects our lives to produce. You see, my goal as your pastor, as your pastor teacher, is to help you to mature in your faith, to grow in your knowledge of Christ, to mature in your relationship with Him. You see, God's great desire for His people is that we'd be like His Son. If you, all, if you boil it down to its core, spiritual maturity, sanctification, is simply becoming more like Jesus. 1 John 2.6 says that we're to walk in the same way that He walked. Again, that's what sanctification is about. It's exposing yourself as much as you can to the truth of God's Word. So the Holy Spirit then can take that Word and apply it to your heart so that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You know, I preach and I teach, and if you're a teacher, you ought to teach with the same confidence. The Bible tells us God's Word will never go forth without accomplishing the very purpose for which He said. And sometimes you may scratch your head and say, what was the purpose of that? What was the application of that to my life? And it might not have an application today. But as you expose yourself to the truth, someday the Holy Spirit will take that word at the right time, at the right moment, the right situation. He will apply it to your heart. Help you grow in your faith. You know, this text makes it real easy breath to see if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, doesn't it? It's kind of a gut check text. Kind of a realism check. Because we can't hide from it. Questions to be asked are do you you sense you're being equipped to serve? Is the ministry of the church in some way helping you Find your gifts, use your gifts to serve the body of Christ. Are you being built up in the faith as a body? And are we experiencing that unity? A unity based not upon common interests or common desires, common political views or cultural ideas? Or do we have a unity that's based upon the truth of God's Word? Are we coming to a a better knowledge of Jesus, understanding who He is? And are we growing, maturing, becoming more what God wants us to be? I trust that's the case.
And where we aren't, where we're kind of missing the target, you pray. God help us to get on track. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for its truth and pray you would apply it to our hearts and lives as our need exists. And I pray that we would always hear be a church. It is about using the gifts God has given. And that we would be about serving. We would be about growing. We would be about unity. Maturing. And we pray that it would all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.